Isaiah uh, chapter 57 is going to be our text this morning. And if you're worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you. Uh, I've uh, reworked some of the sermons, so you're, uh, if you're using the online worship guide, it's going to be a little bit different than what's going to be uh, posted there on, um, online, and so just follow along, and, and we'll, we'll get through the passage here together, all right? Isaiah chapter uh, 57, Healing for the Backsliding. Healing for the Backsliding is the title of today's message. A man set out um, to go do some ice fishing on a frozen lake. Anybody ever do any ice fishing around here? Anybody? A couple, Johnny. Any, anybody else besides Johnny? No, uh, Gabe. Uh, so just a couple, you know, it's, I don't know why, I mean, it's hard enough to fish in the summertime. Why would you want to go ice fishing in the wintertime? I don't know, but uh, it's, it's brutal, right? And so this man, he set out across the lake, um, the frozen lake. He had carried his gear, went to the favorite you know, fishing hole. He, you know, um, augured a hole into the ice, dropped his line, settled in with his mission to catch fish, right? And he waited, as he was waiting for the fish to bite, he noticed this little teenage boy come, you know, walking across the lake with a pole in his hand, you know, determined look on his face, and, and, and he was there, and he was, and this man, he admired the kid's tenacity, and, but his surprise, or his expression of, of, of uh, you know, turned into surprise as he watched this kid pull one fish out of the lake after another. After about an hour, the man couldn't take it anymore. He had been sitting there shivering in the cold, wondering why he's not catching anything. And so he slips and slides across the lake, gets to the boy and says, young man, I've been here for an hour. I haven't caught anything. You've caught fish after fish. What's your secret? You know, what bait are you using? What lure are you using? What's going on? And the young boy just mumbled this. Mm-hmm. 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 And the man said, what? What did you say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the boy said, or the man, the man said, the young boy said, son, I don't understand what you're saying. And about that time, the boy spit into his hands and he said, mister, you got to keep your worms warm. <laughs> now you hear that story and you might think, man, that's gross. Who would ever do that? Only a fisherman. I don't know who would do that. And yet, how many of us here this morning imagine that because we're fishing, we're catching fish, everything is okay between us and the Lord? I want to start by asking you this question. If our God were to sit down and complete the following statements, what would he say? I have seen your ways and what would come next? I have seen your ways and I've seen your ways and, and I'm, I'm ticked off. I've seen your ways and, and I'm through with you. I, I, I've seen your ways and I love you anyways and I know you're just having a bad day and everything's going to be okay and it's not that big of a deal. I have seen your ways and missionary to India George Bowen wrote this regarding the passage that we're going to consider today. I have seen his ways says the Lord 
And what terrible sentence may we look for a consequence to this announcement? But lo, the most gracious of all words issue from his lips. I have seen his ways and I will heal him. The knowledge of God, the knowledge which God has of our corruption and deep depravity soon becomes to us a ground of confidence. He knows what we need and perfectly aware of what we are, he has undertaken to restore us. And he will certainly accomplish what he has taken in hand. Isn't that good? Ray Ortland, in his book on revival, when God comes to church, writes regarding the healing work of God. God so wants to encourage us with reviving powers, with his reviving powers, that he multiplies the images which with which to press his confidence into our hearts. He knows how weak we are. He knows how easily discouraged we are. As we survey our lives, our churches, our society, our faith, our home, our, our, let me just, as we survey our lives, our homes, our churches, our society, our faith can sag in defeatism. But God's grace is more than a match for our weakness. He refuses to quit. And so as we look into this passage this morning, we're going to see that God is the God who heals. Six weeks ago when I was been reading through Isaiah this spring for my devotional time, I came to Isaiah chapter 57 and, and the Lord spoke to me that morning as I was reading this passage two times in verse 15. We read of God reviving a certain kind of people. And yet this week as I returned to this passage in, in preparation for this morning, it is not only that God impressed upon me that not only is he the God who revives, but he is the God who heals the backslider. He heals the one who persistently turns and repeatedly turns his back against the Lord God. What a grace-filled, hope-filled passage this is for us this morning. People like you and I who are, let me just start, people like me who are sin-sick people. Are you there? May God speak to us this morning as we look into his word. Isaiah chapter 57. I want to begin with verse 14. We'll go down to the end of the chapter. And then we'll try to consider what God is saying to us here this morning. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Now notice what it says. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Verse 16. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. The three times in verses 16 and 17 we're going to read of God's anger. For the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I made because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face and was angry. But he, went, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, the Lord says, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips Peace, peace, 
to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and again I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Let's consider what God is saying to us here. That through the prophet Isaiah, God is saying that he will not only revive those who are burdened by sin and broken by life, but he also promises to heal those who have backslidden. And so how does God bring this reviving, healing work to the backslidden? Three, three uh, facets of this promise I want to consider this morning. The first one is this. Although high and holy, although God is high and holy, he has made a way to return. Although God is high and holy, he has made a way to return. We see this in verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, God announces. He says, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction. And the, the image that is taking place here is that three times in the book of Isaiah, at least three times in the book of Isaiah, we, we find this language being used. And the image that is used here is that of a, in, in uh, the ancient Orient, uh, the ancient Oriental practice of whenever a king or an emperor would go to a territory, before he would go to that territory, emissaries would be sent for the sole purpose of preparing the way for the king who would come. And so they would level in the ditches, they would lower, they would uh, remove the mountains, they would clear away the obstructions and the obstacles. This is the language that was picked up in the New Testament by John the Baptist, which uh, Brother Joe uh, referenced this morning as he was praying uh, concerning the ministry of John the Baptist as he prepared the way of the king of, for, the, for the coming of the king of kings. John the Baptist's message was clear and direct. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is God saying here? God is saying this, is that he has made a way for backsliding people to return to him. God has cleared the way so that people like you and me who are persistent in our sin and rebellious in our ways against God, we can return to the Lord. And then in verse 15, God reminds us, reminds Israel, he reminds us who he is. It's as if God has taken out his business card and he's put it across the table and he says, this is who I am. Remember who I am. And in verse 15, he says, thus says the one who is high and lifted up. This isn't a spatial matter. This isn't a matter of um, God is up in the heavens and we're here on the earth below. No, this is a personal matter. This is a positional matter. If you remember Isaiah's call to a, being a prophet in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. This is, a, this is a, a personal matter, high and lifted up. God is saying, listen, I am the one who is above all. I am the one who is over everything. It speaks to his sovereignty, his ability to rule and to reign. He is the king. He is the ruler over everything. It speaks to his majesty and might that there is no equal to God. He is great. He is beyond anything and everything. And the scripture says, then not only is he the one who is high and lifted up, but he also inhabits eternity. That is, is that God encompasses time. God was before time, and God will be after time. God created time as we know it, and time began, and there is a time coming when time as we know it will end, but God will remain. 
And so Isaiah is given this vision of who God is. Not only is the one who's high and lifted up, who is the one who is Lord over all, but he is the one who inhabits time, whose name, he says, is holy. This is not just a reference to God's moral perfection. To be holy means that God is separate. Separate from all of his creation. God is not one God of many gods. There is the only God. There is no other God. He is God alone. He is the holy God. But notice what the scripture says. He says, I, this high and lifted up one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite heart and lowly spirit. He is near to the contrite of heart. He is near to the lowly of spirit. Now let's not miss what the Lord is saying here to us here today. Who are the contrite of heart and the lowly of spirit? The contrite of heart are those who have been crushed by sin. By, the, by their own sin and by the sins of the world around them, by the sins of others, they have been crushed. They have, they have been they have been broken down by sin. They have reached for that, that, that fruit of promise and they have tasted the bitter nectar that has come from that fruit. Instead of receiving life, they have reaped death. The contrite, instead of finding pleasure, they've experienced pain. He is the one who is near to the contrite, to the ones who have been crushed. Isaiah, not Isaiah, Psalm chapter 34 verse 8 um, parallels the crushed, the contrite with the brokenhearted. Psalm chapter 90 verse 3 translates this word uh, contrite as God, uh, man being returning to the dust, the one who has been ground back to dust. God is near to the one who has been brought to the end of themselves. And he is near, dwells with the lowly of spirit to be brought low, to be humbled. That the, that the ways of this world, the ways of this life, the sin of this world, there, there's no more pretense there's no more wearing a mask. There's no more uh, putting on a front. There's, there's, there's no, one, no more of, I'm this way with this person, but I'm this way when I'm by myself. It's just say, listen, I am lowly of spirit. I have come to the end of myself. There's, there's no more hiding. There's no more game playing. There's no more facade wearing. And so what the, guy, what, the, what the scripture is saying, God is saying to us here this morning is this, is that for God to be near, we must come to an end to ourselves. If we want to experience the reviving work of God, we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have, to be, we have to deal with the issue of sin in our lives. We can't go on and keep on playing games. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 10 describes our persistent tenacity to, to go our own way and to do our own thing. Look back up just a few verses. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 10 where God is just, he's, he's speaking about the problems in the land of Israel. What is going on? And listen to what God says. You were wearied with the length of your way. Have you ever been there? 
just wearied. Man, just life has become hard. Life is this, 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 the course that I've gone has not promised the pleasure that I, that I, the promised pleasures have not become reality. I have just, man, my life is hard. It is painful. It is difficulty. Look what it says. But you did not say it is hopeless. Instead, you found new life for your strength, and so you were not faint. You didn't even acknowledge that you were sick. God says, you have, you have so persistent are you that you said, I'm going to find another way to make my life work. I'm going, to, I'm going to make it on my own. And the picture here is like that of an addict scrambling to do whatever they can to get another hit, another fix. The picture is like a boxer who's, who's um, being pummeled along the ropes. And when the bell sounds, uh, sounds he stumbles to his corner, but he, he says, man, I, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going another round. That's the picture. And rather than quitting, and rather than returning to the Lord, rather than coming to an end of ourselves, we're determined we're going to make life work. We're going to find a pleasure. We're going to find a pursuit. We're going to find an answer ourselves. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We can do it without God. I think of King David in the Old Testament. After he sinned with Bathsheba, he tried to cover it up, hide it from, God, from both God and man. Uh, yet 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27 says that, that what David did, um, uh, God saw what David did and it, was, it displeased him. It was evil in his sight. And yet after when David was confronted by that sin, he wrote about a broken and contrite spirit. Look what he says. Uh, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Oh, do you hear? Do you hear what, the, what God is saying to us in this passage? God is calling us back to himself. I, I think of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, where Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the sinner. In, in the temple praying. And, and one recited all of his outward acts of religion. The other didn't even look up from the ground. One, uh, the Pharisee's religion was impressive to the people but offensive to God. Whereas the sinner who wouldn't even look up to God, up to the heavens, was despised by the people. And yet he found acceptance with God. What was the difference? One was confident, the other was contrite. One was haughty, the other was humble. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on Isaiah, asked this question. Where is God? In two places. He dwells in the high and holy place where we can't go. And he dwells among the lowly and contrite where we can go. So the way to find God is obvious. Humble yourselves and he will find you. Does God seem far away from you this morning? Do you feel so detached and distant from the Lord? <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 56 speaks of the eunuch. The eunuch saying, 
Uh, I'm just a dry tree. Does that describe your life today? I'm just a dry, shriveled up tree. There's no life. There's, there's nothing inside of me. Could it be? Could it be? That you've not come to the end of yourself. And that today. Today the Lord is calling you to return to him. See the way of return starts with contrition. Being broken before God. Being repentant before God. It starts with humility. Where we humble ourselves before the Lord. We stop playing the games. We stop pretending. We stop trying to wear a, 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 a facade in front of God. The scripture promises that God gives grace to the humble. And as King David experienced after his great sin with Bathsheba, a broken and a contrite heart, God will not, does not despise. But there's a second part of this promise that I want us to consider this morning, that God promises to heal the backslider. And that is, and the promise is this, the second part is this, although God sees, he will heal. Although God sees, he will heal. We see, we, we see this and we pick this up in verses 16 through 19. And we see that God is, is although God is high and holy, he is not indifferent to um, the things that are going on in this world. Right? Verse 16 says, I will not contend forever. That is, I will not litigate. I will not prosecute forever. Nor will I remain angry. And as I, as I mentioned, as we read through the scripture three times in verses 16 and 17, we read of the anger of God. God is righteously indignant. God does not look at our sin and, and just, uh, you know, uh, turn away and, and just wink, nod, just, you know, man's going to be man, woman's going to be woman. It doesn't matter, what, you know. No, that's not how God looks at what's going on in this world. That's not how God looks at your sin, my sin. It, it, is ang it angers him. He's not indifferent to sin. Verse 17 you say, what is the sin that angers God? Uh, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I think the King James Version says, um, because of the iniquity of his covetousness. Uh, unjust gain. Uh, getting an advantage. Profiting from. Um, getting ahead through the oppression, the mistreatment, the injustice inflicted on others. As our country is being torn apart with what's going on in our nation, the word that our politicians and pundits are using over and over again is systemic racism. I'm not a minority in this land. I don't know what it is to be that, to face that. I just want to say this today, that the issues facing America stem far deeper than whatever type of systemic racism there is in this land. And the issue facing our country and facing mankind is not systemic racism. 
alone, but systemic sin. And until we deal with the systemic issues of sin issues of our lives, the comorbidity will show up in all kinds of ways. The iniquity, the wrongdoing of unjust gain, will show up in all kinds of ways. It'll manifest itself in racism, but not just racism. It'll manifest itself in in. Um, falsifying my expense report at work, uh, adding time to the project and increasing my expenses, unjust gain, uh, systemic sin will manifest itself in, in something as simple as I need to get that grade and so I'm going to cheat on this exam or uh, on this report or this project. Uh, it, uh, unjust gain is... Uh, it will manifest itself um, in how I treat the life of the unborn. Where I view the life in the womb and I say, this is an unwanted pregnancy. And so I only look out for myself. The issue is systemic sin. And so God addresses that. He's not indifferent to it. In whatever form it shows up in society, in whatever form it shows up in the church. But I want you to notice here in verse 17 what the Puritans call the severe mercy of God. The severe mercy of God. God is not indifferent to the sin. God's mercy at times is severe. Look what it says in verse 17. He says, I struck him. I hid my face. I was angry. But he went on backsliding. Uh, I struck him. And throughout the Old Testament, God is seen to afflict people uh, because of their persistent rebellion, turning away from him. My question this morning, have you ever found yourself being disciplined by God? Have you ever found yourself being struck by God? Uh, the prophet Jeremiah wrote about this. Prophet Jeremiah, verse 30, verse 14 says, All your allies have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. I struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel. Why? Because your guilt is great and your sins are so many. And so God disciplines and God strikes sometimes even his own because of our persistent sinning. And God says, I hid my face. That is, is that God... Uh, turned his face. The face would be a, a picture of God's favor. God says, I turned my face and my favor no longer rested on you. And I became angry the third, the third time there that, that we see that in verse 17. God was displeased by all that he saw. And don't miss verse 17, the end of verse 17. But even though the mercy of God was severe, verse 17, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. He went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. 
That idea of backsliding is to turn one's back to God. He went on turning his back to me, the Lord says. To turn your back on the goodness and the grace and the love of God. To turn your back on the will and the word and the work of God. To turn your back from wholeheartedly trusting the Lord with faith and devotion. To turn your, way, to turn your back uh, on the Lord from your obedience, your holiness and submission before him. And so the scripture says, but he went on backsliding, turning his back against me. But when we come to verse 18, we find a change. Verse 18, I have seen his ways. I have seen his ways that he has backslidden in the ways of his own heart. I have seen this, but I will heal him. What's the difference? Why the change? Why striking in verse 17 and healing in verse 18? I believe the difference is this, is that the severe mercies of God have served their purpose. Remember what God said in verse 15? I will dwell with the one who is contrite and lowly. I will dwell with the one who has been broken and crushed by sin and the one who has humbled themselves before me. And so the severe mercies of God have, have, have uh, accomplished their purpose. And God says, I will heal them. Now notice what we see here at the beginning of verse 18, at the end of verse 19. I will heal him. Don't, I don't want us to miss that. I will heal him. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their Starts with an L. Land. I will heal the nation. Here, verse 18, verse 19, I will heal him. God is very personal. I will heal him. I will heal her. If we want to make it real personal, I will heal you. I will heal you. You say, how does God heal? Look what it says. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners. So how does God heal? I will lead them. I will lead them. This is God directing, uh, providentially directing and leading, guiding our lives. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, we know three, uh, 5 and 6, right? Um, um, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, is it behind? Okay, here we go. Yeah, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, right? And he will uh, direct your paths, right? We know verses five and six. Don't miss verse seven and eight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. God says, I will heal and revive you. And God says, not only will I, when I heal you, uh, I will lead you, but I will restore comforts to you. I will restore comforts to you. Comforts there is in the plural, meaning that, that, that God's comfort is both varied and great. It is also intense, right? And so there is comfort for the wasted days and wasted years 
of living in a backsliding state. It is the comfort for the regrets that we have from past decisions. It's the comforts that we have for the heartaches and the hardness that, that we have reaped in our lives because of the choices we have made running hard from God. It is the comfort that God brings into our lives for the sorrows of our life spent away from God. And God says, I will restore comfort to him and to his mourners. Right? You think of what Jesus promised in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be. Starts with a C. Comforted, right? And so there's, an, and then God says this, creating the fruit of their lips. And what is that message that will be on their lips? Peace, peace to those who are far and to those who are near. God, through the Isaiah prophet, saw a day like today. Those who are near, the Jews. Those who are far, the Gentiles. God saw in through the future, there would be a time coming when um, God would um, peace would be extended not just to the Jewish nation but to the Gentiles. Paul picked this up, this verse up in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17 where it says that in him peace was proclaimed, preached, uh, uh, to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And as I was meditating on, on that verse, I was thinking about that this week. Uh, peace, peace to those who are far and to those who are near. Peace, peace to those of you today who are close and walking with the Lord. There is peace. And today, peace, peace to those who are far. And today you may not be walking with God. Today you may be running from God. Today you may be struggling with the... Uh, you know, just there's just areas in your life where you're just running hard against from, away from God. Peace, peace to those who are far. There's a, God is calling you back to Himself. And so we see here that God is high and He is holy, but He's made a way for you and I to return to Him. God, we see in Scripture that God sees and yet He heals. But verses 20 and 21 end with a dire warning. There's a dire warning, and that dire warning is this. Although God does revive, he will not be spurned. Although God does revive, he will not be spurned. Verse 20, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Verse 20 begins with the wicked. Verse 21 ends with the wicked. You say, who are the wicked? Verse 17. Those who persist in their turning their back against the Lord. And notice what God says. The wicked, those who continue to turn their back against the Lord, there is no rest. Isaiah says they're like a, they're like a sea that's being churned up. You think about the sea, how the sea is always restless, always moving, always churning. And when you're along the shore and the waves are crashing in, and what do you see? You see all the dirt and all the mire that's being stirred up. And, and from deep within, the heart of the one who has turned his back against God, there are words and works that are unclean and godly. They're just being stirred up from the life. No rest. And those who backslide have no peace. Verse 20, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And what we desperately long, what we desperately seek, and what we desperately desire, the shalom of God, the peace of God, there is no shalom. There is no sense that everything is right and well, there is no peace for the one who continues to turn his back against the Lord.
Are you going through life? Keeping your worms warm? Catching fish? But turning your back against God? Are you here this morning needing healing from the Lord? Have you? Are you becoming weary with life? Maybe like David, you have tried to cover up a secret sin and that secret sin is now becoming a life-dominating sin. And what God is saying to us in this blessed passage is return to the Lord with contrition and with humility and you will find healing for your sin-sick soul. Are you like the Pharisee? Trying to impress others with the outward works of religion, but your heart is far from the Lord? This blessed passage is saying to us today, return to the Lord with contrition, with humility, and find healing for your sin-sick soul. It is here, both contrition and humility that we find healing. This morning I'm going to end with a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon, as he was reflecting, writing on this passage, he said this, My soul, whatever thy disease be, may be, this great physician can heal thee. If he be God, there can be no limit to his power. Come then with blind eye of darkened understanding. Come then with limping foot of wasted energy. Come then with maimed hand of weak faith the fever of an angry temper, or the cold, the hot and cold shivering of despondency. Come just as thou art, for he who is God can surely restore thee of thy plague. Will you come and be healed this morning? Let's